Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I love an East Coast ball drop. That's fair. I like that. Yeah. We used to go camping on New Year's every year, and we did East Coast New Year's. Because when you're camping, you're outside all day, you start drinking very early. So staying up till midnight is just not happening. I don't think you need to go camping to, to live that life. I do find that when I'm home, I'm like, I gotta make it to New Year's. Oh, absolutely not. Because growing Absolute. up, we always made it to New Year's. Like, oh, it was yeah, no. That version of Drea died, like, solidly oh, okay. in 2001. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I'm Jules. And I have a love-hate relationship with this time of Don't year. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> it's really busy for me for work. Everyone else is, like, super quiet, like... I've been out running some errands, and I see people, like, having a grand time at brunch. And then in the you middle run them the week. over. <laughs> and, like, you know, people are just out all the time. And I'm like, fuck, I got it. This is literally the most time I sit at my desk Ooh. is these weeks between Thanksgiving and New Year's. So, anyway. But I do love it. But then I have some hate towards it. Drea knows. She gets the text. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Well, to celebrate our final episode of the year, Ooh. cheers, bitches, by the cheers. way, we made it. We did make it. Um, we have a very special version of cheers and jeers. It's cheers minus the jeers. Yep, it's all cheers because we are nothing if not positive on this podcast. Well, <laughs> my cheers is kind of a cheers and a jeers. In God, my... you just couldn't let us have this one, I could know. you? And it was my idea to not do the jeers, but... Wah, Cheers wah. to 2023 and putting 2022 in the rear view. And isn't that what this time is all about? It's just like, okay, the past is the past. Here we go. Let's start fresh on Jan 1. I do love a fresh start. I fresh love start a fresh is good. Start. How about you? What's your jeers? Uh, What's your jeers? Jeers. <laughs> so, kind of in the same vein, you know, cheers to 2022. Um, there were Definitely some really shitty moments this past year. Remember that episode that we recorded when I had uh, shingles? Yeah. Yes. That was fun. Mm -hmm. That was super fun. Um, But some other good, some really good stuff happened. I turned 40, made my way back to my beloved Barcelona. I was in consistent therapy. Maybe that's why I was with you, right? There we go. There we go. It's all coming together. All coming together. So I I feel like overall I made some gains that I can feel, feel good about. So I'm... I'm ready to put this one to bed feeling good about it like at it. 9 p.m. At 9 p.m. <laughs> to be clear. Eastern or 9 p.m. Pacific? You know what? Who even knows? <laughs> Who even knows? We don't know. Let's see where <laughs> we'll the find night out. takes us. Well, I think that that's a really nice way to also think about going into the new year to say like, okay, 2022 is over. Let me reflect on... What are some things that I do want to carry over into the new year? And what are some things that maybe need to just stay in the the old year? So I like that. So there you go. Cheers and jeers. Minus the jeers this time for this very festive New Year's episode, everyone. In honor of 2023, we are sharing our top three New Year's resolutions for this coming year. And, of course, because we all know I'm into a little history lesson. She learned. <laughs> the origin of making New Year's resolutions rests with the Babylonians, mm. 
who reportedly made promises to the gods in hopes that they'd earn good favor in the coming year. So here are promises to the gods, the wine gods. Jules, what are your resolutions? Full disclosure, when Drea said that Shawinigans was New Year's resolution. Jules is like, fuck you. <laughs> no, I did. For once, I did not respond with that. I said, I don't make New Year's resolutions. And she was like, this is supposed to be fun. I was like, fine. And then, of course, I found myself being a little serious about it. So. I was going to say, when I read these, I was like, oh, she did oh, go for it. She got deep in into there. Into it. Resolution number one. Misses are just inconveniences. This is something that actually came out of therapy. Because Jules tends to have a total meltdown about little things that go wrong. <laughs> No, so you don't say. <laughs> this has been a mantra of mine for the last couple months that it's just an inconvenience. It's not a total breakdown of the system if something doesn't go quite as planned. Danger, danger, danger. <laughs> so maybe this mantra helps you. Misses are just inconvenience. I like that. What's your first one? Uh, so I want to do, this was something I wanted to do last year and I just didn't have the energy because, or this past year, I didn't have the energy because I was too busy like getting my brain right. Uh, but I love a challenge. Okay. And I want to do monthly challenges because I'm also competitive as fuck and I'm mostly competitive with myself. I, I was going to say, I did not know that about you being competitive. Like I don't get that from you. We should play Monopoly sometime. Well, that's true. We haven't played a game. Because I am also competitive. It is by any means But necessary. no one's surprised about that. <laughs> also, no one is surprised about that. I come in very, like, stealth mode. Yeah. Okay. She's a sneaky competitor. Yep. I'm a sneaky bitch that okay. way. So, I want to set, um, like, health challenges or financial challenges each month. So, typically, like, I do no spend January. So, no shopping. Okay. It's just... Bare essentials, like stuff you absolutely need, you know, like deodorant and laundry detergent and bullshit. I also like that. think that's. I mean, listen, I'm not saying that it's not a challenge, but I'm, I'm like coming off of the holidays. That's usually an easy thing. Have you met me? Have you seen my closet? Yeah, you've met me. Yep. But January is pretty easy for me to be like. I just got a bunch of shit for Christmas, some of which I really needed hardly any of it needed <laughs> I was like, some uh -uh. of it i wanted I saw some Christmas of it i did list. not want you know people give you stuff and you're like what am i gonna do with this you know and margaret doesn't listen to this podcast my mom she gave me some pajamas that i was like what the fuck i don't need pajamas are those those pajamas i see over there in that package correct Ooh. <laughs> what is that woof bus your woof. girlfriend <laughs> Us, your girlfriend. Woof. A little home alone reference for you. Uh, so I am a hundred percent confident that you will be able to do dry January of no spending. Our, I mean, our version of dry January. Our version of dry January. So yeah, that's my first one. All right, love it. Resolution two. What you got? Resolution two. This is something that I saw very recently and saved it um, to some notes that I have. And I thought, okay, this is something that I really would like to incorporate. Notice what your partner is doing right instead of paying attention to what they're doing wrong. And then Aww, I thought to myself, why the fuck do I set impossible goals for myself? This is going to be, and just why? This is going to be so fucking hard. Sorry, Rob. 
But this is also known as an upward spiral instead of a downward spiral. And I've been trying to incorporate this into our life. Girl, that's a tornado. Sometimes with abysmal success. <laughs> and it's just the idea that you focus on the good rather than the bad and let yourself go upward in your spiral. And it like one good thing leads to another good thing versus the opposite of like one bad thing leads you to the next. Wow, my thing. therapist is gonna be very disappointed in me because I don't even understand the logistics of how that would work. Our but therapist okay. was very impressed when I brought that to one of our meetings. Oh wow, you the brought that spiral. to the that's yes. that yeah. Oh yeah, that wasn't given to me by the therapist. I brought that to the table. Drea, what's your second resolution for 2023? So I really do feel like we live parallel lives on this podcast um, because my second resolution is to give the Silver Fox, John, less shit. I can already, Good luck. Yeah, I can already Good luck, tell John. this one's... May the odds be ever in your favor. This one's going to be rough. This is going to be a challenge. It's going to be the biggest change yet. <laughs> Either that or I got really learned how to like ancient aliens. We'll see how this fucking goes. That's funny. <laughs> you know, the great thing is, it's like when I pour wine and he puts it on, he's like, what? I like your hobbies. Like, yeah, who doesn't like to drink? Wine. Or drink. Whatever. Period. Yes, correct. <laughs> correct. And travel. Hello. He's Those so are pretty lucky. easy hobbies to he's get behind. so lucky. Maybe my resolution was uh, he should feel lucky. That's there's, right. That's right. I think we already, we're already there. Mm, fair. Fair, fair. <laughs> All right, what's number, what's the final, what's the finale? Number three for me is to get back on my sewing machine. So I, do love I that. have a few unfinished projects and then a few projects that I've been wanting to attempt and tackle that I just haven't had the time to, to really sit with and, you know, devote the time to. And I really love sewing and I feel like it's something that, allows me to be creative and go through the creative process. And I'm always amazed at what you can actually fucking put together in a sewing machine if you just follow simple steps. So we'll see. I sense a two girls in a great caftan coming real soon. Oh, I mean, I have made a short kimono. Ooh. Oh, that's right. I do recall I do this. have so, one of those. So, you know, you never know. I like this. I like this. Stay tuned for I the I also do show. have swimwear fabric. It's been on my list to make a bikini for a couple years. I have the fabric. It's beautiful. I just need to actually do it. 2023, people. It's going to be yours. Hold my feet to the fire, everyone. And what is your final resolution? So my final one is, I, I was like, I got to have one wine related, right? Oh. And okay. one is, <laughs> or not. It's fine. It's fine. Everyone's <laughs> fine. I am... A little bit of a wine hoarder, as some of you know and others suspect. And, it like, I need to drink what I have. I tend to hold on to wine for way too long and save it and special this or special that. I just need to fucking drink it. Like, yes. on a Tuesday. I concur. I have the same thing, though. That's true. But I have yeah. it with wine. I have it with things that people give me, like, special chocolates or yeah. special spices or something. I tend to... Or like an olive oil that I just yep. like, oh, I want to, I want to save this. Yeah, but then it and ends then up in the back of the up, cabinet and it's and like, oh, And sometimes I fuck. end up throwing it away because yeah. I've saved it and now it's past its expiration date for some yeah. things. Okay, so Not maybe, wine, but, you know, just generally but even, speaking, I mean, things. You know, some Pantry wines, things. Some wines you don't want to lay down as long as right. I've Some stuff is meant to them. be consumed 
Immediately. We should do more consuming. I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, sh- I think we should do less buying, more consuming of what we have. Oh, God, fine. Be There's responsible. That. I don't think that it's more consuming. It's more consuming of what we already have instead of operating under this guise of, well, I don't want to diminish my stock. So, so I'm going to keep buying. Stuff. What I'm hearing is that the six balls of wine I bought at Clo today was. Pr- that was your last. That was it. For the year. Well, no spending January. In January. There so that was your last alcoholic purchase From for the month. next month. Wow. I last go- of the year and last, last of, the, of month. the month. Well, I, there's always tomorrow. You do solve tomorrow. So you could go out and have a fucking go on a spree. Hog wild. I don't Why rec- not? I don't recommend it. <laughs> well, there you have it, everyone. Our resolutions and shawinigans for this New Year's Eve episode. So feel free to, you know, if you know us and you have our numbers, feel free to check in with us once in a while and just say, how's that resolution going? But come with wine. And I'll tell you to fuck off. So there's that. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> For this very special New Year's Eve episode, we are doing something we have never done on Two Girls and a Grape. And we've done a lot. There's been some drinking. There's been some drinking. Been a few bottles. If you have been a dedicated listener, you may be able to guess what we're going to feature. And also just because of the time of year, we wanted to pick something festive. So we picked champagne time bubbles. Bottle number 46, bingo, is a bottle of Veuve Clicquot, a Brut Champagne, uh, made in the traditional method in France. The price point for this bottle is about $50. You can sometimes find it on sale actually at Target. I've seen it at the Target on sale. Sometimes uh, Costco, Sam's Club will have this label as well, especially the yellow label, Mm -hmm. which are featuring... The ABV is 12%, so it's not going to knock your socks off. It's just a nice way to kind of get the party started, kick things off. Easy drinker. And in the true style of being a champagne, it's a non-vintage that includes grapes from as many as 50 to 60 different crews to blend uh, to be Vuv's signature yellow label champagne. Drea, tell us a little bit about what kind of grapes we're going to see in this blend. So even though this is a blend that's coming from 50 to 60 different crews, um, you are going to get some consistency with the grapes. And there are three there are three key grapes that are very prevalent. Say that five in, times fast. No, I can't. In the champagne area, uh, the first is Pinot Noir. So this bottle is approximately 50 to 55%. And that Pinot really provides a sense of structure and texture to the wine. So that's what's going to give you kind of the biggest punch there. The next grape is Chardonnay, and that's 28 to 33%. And what that's going to do is it's going to add depth and that buttery mouthfeel that is very characteristic of this wine. So a lot of people talk about when they drink champagnes from Champagne in France, uh, you get kind of that brioche that buttery croissant, um, that yeastiness that comes across more as like a baked good than anything else. So that's that Chardonnay grape. 
And then finally, a Meunier, which is 15 to 20%. Zoya does not agree with that. Well, I'm sorry, Zozo. These are the facts. Um, which is 15 to 20% and really balances the wine by adding just a touch of much-needed acidity to it. So these are the three grapes that we're going to see represented in this bottle. Awesome. And now for some fun facts with Jules. Fun facts with Jules. We really do need a, a, little, a little jingle. Segue, a little ditty. A little jingle. Yeah. Maybe that'll be our Two Girls in the Grape resolution. We're going to work on that for next year. Veuve Clicquot was awarded the Sustainability certif Certification in 2014, and 100% of their vineyards use sustainable viticultural practices. Which was actually a huge surprise to me, because they're a large house. Yeah, you just wouldn't think about. Right, and but yeah. I mean, it's really in line with what we like to drink, so. And price point wise, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Madame Clicquot, who was known as a Grand Dame of Champagne, was a French champagne producer who took on her husband's wine business when she was widowed at the age of 27. She was probably like, see ya, motherfucker, I'm taking over this business and I'm making it a grand success. Well, she was the daughter of another winemaking family from that region. Similar to, for those of you who listened to our Freshenette episode, two winemaking families kind of merged through marriage. And so she was familiar with the process already. So she was destined to be the granddad. Uh, in the same vein, there's a musical called Clicquot, a revolutionary musical that was written by Lisette Gladowski and Richard C. Walter. And it was written about Madame Clicquot's life. That's kind of cool. How do I not know about I'd this? I'd never heard of it. I want to see it. And now we know. At the time that champagne was invented, bubbles were actually considered to be a flaw in the wine and a result of bottling before the fermentation process was complete. So we're basically paying for a mistake. Isn't huh? that funny how now a things that were a mistake, mistake are now really expensive? Uh, the iconic yellow label first began appearing on bottles of Veuve Clicquot in 1876 when the house pasted yellow labels on bottles to distinguish dry champagne from the sweet champagne that was on the British market, which we have tried. That's right. And Top we're not down. super impressed with. So we have had a champagne, but not a traditional well, champagne. Well, not, I mean, we've had one made in the traditional method, but we've never had a actual sparkling wine from Champagne. We'll get into that later. Sure. Almost 20 years after the yellow labels began being used, they became the officially designated label that marked the Brut Champagne that was produced by Veuve Clicquot. Uh, this one is kind of cool. The oldest parts of the historic Veuve cellars are called Crayeres. This, I'm totally butchering that because I don't speak French. And were originally chalk quarries, or as Ray likes to say, quarries. They date back to the medieval period. They lie about 60 feet underground and are comprised of more than 12 miles. So you get your steps in if you go and check out the cellars. Uh, they're also now a designated as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which is really cool. So maybe you can't walk on them. I don't know. I I'm not you sure. can I still like take tours of the cellars, tours. yeah. yeah. The chalk cellars were also used to shelter people um, during World War One. 
Of course. There's some fucking history there. Yep. There's probably some ghosts there as well. Clearly. The oldest known bottle of Veuve is from 1893 and was discovered at Torosay Castle on the Isle of Mull in Scotland. Hey, of course <laughs> I it knew was. you would appreciate that the Scottish Scots like their good shit. <laughs> Uh, and today it's on display at the Visitor Center in Reims, France, and is considered priceless. I mean, of course it is. How do you how are you gonna fucking put a price on that? And who's gonna open that shit? No one's opening that. <laughs> and finally, the 1942 film Casablanca, uh, Vauve is a champagne recommended by Captain Renault, played by Claude Rains. Well, obviously. We love that movie. Absolutely. Uh, Drea, tell us a little bit, now that we know all our fun facts, now that we know that the people have gotten what they came for, tell us about the region Damn, where this is produced. So, I, you know, I think what's so great about this bottle and this maker is its long and complex history and the long and complex history of the region itself. So, Vauve comes from the Champagne region of France. The name Champagne is rooted in the Latin word champagnis, which means open or level country, and also describes the chalk line flats uh, that are typical of the landscape of this region. So there's a little bit of about the name. Within the region itself, Vauve hails from Reims, which is one of the major centers of champagne production, and many of the largest champagne producing houses and some of the most historic are headquartered there. The region was originally cultivated, I know this is going to be shocking for everyone, by the Romans in the 5th <laughs> century when they began producing still wines. And while and it's while it was believed that the first sparkling wine was invented in 1531 by Benedictine monks, again, by mistake, um, it's really the French from this area that bring champagne into a new era. And so from these humble beginnings, Champagne has become big business. In 1927, the Champagne region became legally defined by five wine-producing areas, including Reims. So this is things like we've talked about um, AVAs in the United States or, or Domain of Origins in Spain. France is perhaps one of the most strict uh, countries when it comes to regulating areas of viticultural production. Shocker. I know. Shocking. Um, in 1941, the Comité Interprofessional de Vin de Champagne. Good job. Thank Champagne. you. Champagne. Champagne. CI or CIVC Much was easier. formed with the purpose of protecting Champagne's reputation and marketing forces as well as setting up and monitoring regulations for vineyard production and viticultural methods. So, one of the things I think is really important here is that this region and this style of wine from this region is heavily regulated very early on. You know, if you think about wine that's being produced in the 40, in the 20s and in the 40s in even other European countries, right? Greece, Spain, France, I mean, Portugal, Italy, they don't have this level of regulation even during that time. Um, so in terms of that regulation, the CIVC has developed a comprehensive set of rules for all wine produced in the region to protect its economic interests. Like that's quite honestly the primary goal here. Um, so for example, many of you who listen probably know 
that champagne can only be called champagne legally if it is from one of these five areas. Uh, and it's from this particular region. So even if you have sparkling wines that are made in the exact same method, which we'll talk about a little bit later, so uh, California sparkling, a cava, whatever the case from Spain, whatever the case may be, you cannot call it champagne. You have to call it something else. And that's because of this regulation that was set to protect these economic interests. But you can say it's made in the champagne method. Right. Or in, or in the traditional method. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in addition to protecting those interests, these regulations also include codification of the most suitable growing places, uh, most suitable grape types. So while most champagne is a blend of the three varietals we discussed earlier, some others are allowed, but you can't just make, use any old grape to make champagne. What? Which is another reason, for example, why like a cava from Spain, which has is made of the three noble Spanish mm-hmm. grapes, not champagne. Uh, in addition, there are a lengthy set of requirements specifying most aspects of the viticultural process. So this includes how the vines are pruned, what the vineyards are allowed to yield per vine, the degree of pressing, the time the wine must remain on its leaves before bottling during the fermentation process. And so only when these wines meet all of these requirements. All of them. So Check all the boxes. All, so even if you're producing a sparkling, but you don't meet these requirements, you cannot legally be called a champagne. Legally. Legally. The 19th century, despite all these rules, saw exponential <laughs> growth in champagne production, uh, going from a regional production of about 300,000 bottles a year in 1800 to 20 million bottles in 1850, which is just like blew my mind how that that expands so rapidly. Imagine if you bought stock in that shit. Jesus. In 2007, champagne sales hit uh, their first major record high with 338.7 million bottles sold. And as of 2021, Champagne is now a $6.2 billion global industry with demand continuing to surge each year. And as I was researching these numbers, I, I came across another article that actually just came out a couple days ago about looming champagne shortages because of weather and climate change. You know, something that we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast. It's really affected this region quite heavily. And so those yields are becoming much less, Mm -hmm. which is going to drive those prices sky high. So that $50 or $55 bottle of move that you're finding now, you may pay $65, $70 for it later. So stock up is what we're saying. Basically, invest now. Yep. So let's turn our attention, though, to a little bit more of the history of the actual house of Vuclicot and um, their early stages. So while it's one of the largest champagne houses uh, now, it did ha- have kind of humble beginnings. It was founded in 1772 by Philippe Clicquot, who was a textile merchant. Hmm. Um, Speaking of my sewing resolution. There you go. And it's all coming together. <laughs> under the label Clicquot, which was his last name. By the end of the 18th century, the brand was already established throughout Europe, Russia, 
and the United States. So this, again, when we talk about mm. champagne and the name and the... Talk about branding and marketing. Yeah, the economics of it. The branding uh-huh. and marketing of this particular house is insane to me. Um, and as mentioned in the fun facts, the widow Clicquot took over in 1805 after her husband passed away. In, so another thing was going on at this time in the early 19th century, and that's the uh, Napoleonic Codes, which really denied Fuck women short, yep, civil and political rights, prohibiting them from working, voting, <laughs> earning money, entering schools and universities without the consent of their husband or father. That However, little dude just couldn't handle it. She, they, he could not. But widows were excluded from this. Because they were no longer under the thumb of their fathers and they didn't have husbands anymore. So they were the only women in French society free and allowed to run their own businesses. I mean, they still couldn't vote and do things like that. But this tells me I would have gotten married young and fucking killed my husband off and been like, I am running shit now. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) I would have poisoned that bastard. Because he would have been old and gross. Probably. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, so they were able to have a sense of economic freedom, which is exactly what she seized upon. And it was really under her that the label thrived. So first, she's credited with some major breakthroughs in the winemaking and sparkling winemaking industry in particular. She created the first known vintage champagne in 1810. Um, Get it, girl. She helped invent the riddling table process to clarify champagne in 1816. Get it, girl. And in 1818, she invented the first known blended rosé champagne by blending still red and white wines, a process that's still used by the majority of champagne producers. Hell yes, because I love a rosé champagne. Who does not? Rosé bubbles, as I like to call it. does not? Because there's actually, I think, few... This could be a future episode. Rosé champagnes. Like champagne. The, from champagne. I feel like there's a lot of rosé bubbles. Yes. Yeah. Not a lot of rosé champagnes. And the rosé champagnes are probably, I'm going to say Pinot Noir based. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's, in, okay, we're going to have to. We're going to have to look into it, everybody. <laughs> we uh, give ourselves so much work. Whenever we do it, we're like, oh, wait, we can do that. <laughs> Uh, but in addition to her wine-making breakthroughs, she was also an incredibly shrewd and savvy businesswoman. Um, she made strides in establishing her wine in royal courts throughout Europe. Yes, she Notably did. that of Imperial Russia. Like, she went She knew for it. what she knew yeah. what she was doing. She, she was knew just one of those... she wanted her clients to be and how she was going to get yep. there. And because of that, she played such an important role in establishing champagne as the favorite drink of high society and nobility throughout Europe. Um, and even today, but what's funny right? is that even today, it's that it's a sign. It's like fancy. It's festive. Celebratory. It's celebratory. It's classy. It's not just your, you don't have that on a Tuesday. That's not typically what you have. It's something that you do as something special. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 1814 was really a turning point in the history of the uh, Vouv company with her Vin de la Comité. Uh, Madame Clicquot reinvigorated her business, which began to take off again thanks to the success 
and sales to the Russian court and aristocratic classes. And again, it was kind of like instant fame. So all of a sudden, Vuv was on everybody's mind, you know, that had the money to really throw at this level of wine. And of course, I mean, we all know how rich people are. They just want to outdo themselves. So yeah, exactly. Um, So she went from being kind of a minor player in Reims to being an established brand across the wealthy circles of Europe. Um, During the years that followed, Russia continued to buy food, wines, and sales skyrocketed from 43,000 bottles in 1816 to 280,000 bottles in 1821. Um, And within two years of running the business, Madame Clicquot had become the most famous winemaker from France and was at the helm of an internationally internationally renowned there we go. Commercial go. business. Uh, which I just think this is such a fascinating story. It is. She passed on July Sadly, 20th, she's no longer alive. Unfortunately. <laughs> July 29th, 1866, at the age of 89. It's because of all that champagne she drank. I mean, if you think about it, though, for like the she's mid 1800s. That's a long life. Yeah, that's 100%, a remarkably yeah. long life. Uh, and even today, she is considered one of the world's first international businesswomen and is responsible for spreading the joy of champagne across the globe. So cheers to her. Well, cheers to fucking Madame Clicquot. Now that we know a little bit about the history of where the champagne came from, let's talk about the process. We alluded to the process of making champagne a little earlier in the podcast kind of talking about the traditional method and so on and so forth. But Drea is going to enlighten us furthermore on how champagne is made and specifically how the champagne is made. Yeah, and this is typically called either the traditional method or the champagne method. And before we get too too far down the road here, most sparklings you drink, with the exception of pet nats, mm-hmm. Um, and Proseccos, which have a slightly different method. This is how they're all made. Literally how they they're They could all, all be made. called champagne. Yeah. They just are not allowed to be. Uh, economic purposes, trademark. Yeah. Uh, so the French are assholes. Well, there's... Sorry, uh, Rodney and Jose. Jose, you're not an asshole. They're really great baked goods. I promise. Oh, the croissants are amazing. Oh, man. And the baguettes. And the chocolate. Okay, we and digress. Cheese. I don't eat cheese, but I've heard it's really good. Anywho, digress. So with traditional method or the champagne method, it is a dual fermentation process. So the first fermentation takes place in vats and lasts for about eight days. At this point, you know, once you've got kind of your basic blend or basic wines here, the wine is blended. In the case of Vuv, it's still and reserve wines that are combined to create that signature Vuv flavor. Yeast and sugars are then added to increase the final alcohol content. And then the wine is bottled. Typically when it's bottled, it does not have a cork. It has a crown cap. Although there are some places um, using this method with so there for example Corpinat, which is in the Panetes Valley in Spain, does a cork um because they still do all the turning by hand. 
uh, and that's part of like their AVA that they're trying to establish there. But for the most part, you're gonna get a crown cap on it, like you would on like a beer bottle, right? Or a pet nap. Um, and the second, so the wine is bottled and then they're, cra they're capped and they're cellared to ferment slowly and produce alcohol and carbon dioxide. And of course, it's that CO2 that produces the distinctive bubbles of a sparkling wine. This process typically takes anywhere between four to six weeks, um, but Vaux champagnes are aged longer than required by champagne regulations, and they are cellared for at least 30 months, with vintage champagnes from their line being aged anywhere between five and 10 years. And I will say, you really are starting to see a lot more vintage champagnes and vintage sparkling wines coming up on the market as new purchases. So they're, they're sitting on those wines and cellaring them for longer to release them as a particular vintage or aged sparkling. But I almost wonder if that's kind of like going with a trend of like vintage is back, right? Vintage furniture, vintage clothing, like thrifting is cool. So does it really matter if a champagne is? It does vintage? really does change it... the flow. So okay. I've done... Um, vertical flights not of champagne but of like cavas because okay we all know math, why. um and you know you'll taste like a like a brute or a brute nature which is aged like 18 months and then you'll t taste a reserva you'll taste a grand reserva and then a royal reserva which is aged more than 48 months and there is a difference i mean i've had I've had cavas aged as long as like 11 to 14 years. Okay. And, you know, there's definitely a distinct difference in the palate, in the body, in the bubbles, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's... Got it. You know, part of... it. I do think it's, it's like on trend in the wine world, but I do think that there are really distinctive profiles to those various years. Consider me edumacated. You're welcome. So, okay, now they've sat in the cellar for somewhere between 30 months and 10 years, whatever, doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, what happens to them next? So this is now where we get to the riddling process. So when a, a sparkling wine is fermenting, going through that second fermentation in the bottle, all of that yeast and sugar, so the yeast eats the sugar and then it dies. It stays in the bottle. Mm -hmm. It's just there. It's all kinds of like sedimenty, gritty stuff. So if you drink a pet that's <laughs> if you drink a pet I'm nap, shaking my head. That's like what's swirling me. at the bottom of your yeah. bottle and why when you store a pet nap, you have to store it up instead yeah. of on its side like you would a typical wine. Because you don't right? want that stuff. You do not want that stuff, especially when you drink it. So um, the key then is how do you get like that yeast and residual sugar out? And so those have to be removed during a process called disgorgement. It sounds which disgusting. It does sound disgusting. It sounds like something in a porn. And so for most, <laughs> most places, some still do this by hand and it's batshit insane. I've seen it Oh, you've done. talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but most places now do this by machine. And what they do is the bottles are... So the balls have been turning, right? And so they put the balls upside down. So all of that yeast and sugar goes to the very bottom of the neck of the bottle. They plunge it into a, a refrigerating solution and freeze it. They open the crown cap. They pop out that little pile of sediment. 
And then they replaced the crown cap with the signature champagne cork and of course, cage. Now, in some cases, you're gonna lose some wine, right? You want, I mean, the goal is always to lose minimum wine and pressure because you wanna maintain the flavor. You also wanna the maintain bubbles. the bubbles. But you're gonna lose some. So usually what these winemakers in Champagne do is they add a mixture of wine, brandy, and sugar, depending on if it's a brood, if it's an extra brood, if it's sweet, whatever the case may be, to adjust the wine and give it that final layer so that you're not getting cheated as a consumer. Bottles are corked, they're labeled, they're packed, they're shipped, they end up at your store and eventually on your table. So that is the double fermentation process that is the champagne method. Awesome. Um, in terms of Vouv itself, some things to note are, I think that stood out to me as I was looking at this bottle, uh, their farming practices are really interesting. They, you know, they have been sustainably certified since 2014. And despite what a large producer they are, everything is still hand harvested, um, which I think That's is very surprising. Yeah, which is fantastic, too, and really speaks, I think, to the the goal of maintaining quality and integrity in the label and the wine. Um, Madame Clicquot would be proud. She would be very proud. And this yellow label brute that we're drinking has been in production since 1877. It is, of course, dominated by a Pinot Noir grape, so it's going to have a little bit more structure to it when we drink it. Aged for a minimum of three years, and it is a blend of 30 to 45% of reserve wines with grapes from about 60 different crews. So I'm excited to pop this bottle open and get celebrating. I am pumped. Now that Drea has enlightened us all on all the various intricacies of making this champagne, I was going to say wine, champagne, champagne, wine, wine, champagne. Let's get to the getting. My favorite part of the, well, I do like Schweinigans, but my favorite part of our episodes is where we actually get to drink the stuff, our tasting discussion. So we already opened the bottle in a very, very safe way, and we'll refer you to our Instagram for the tutorial on how to open a bottle of champagne, because there actually is a way to do it that is the best method. You don't use a saber. Oh, but yes, use a saber. <laughs> I've always we wanted to try to that. Do that. Yeah, I I have always wanted to try that. Okay, the hand job way. Oh my god, <laughs> is going to be on our Instagram. But well, we've come to that point of the podcast. <laughs> we've already poured it into our very fancy. We're drinking out of beautiful Wedgwood crystal uh, champagne glasses for this very very special occasion because it is New Year's Eve. And let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the glass. So, I mean, it's really beautiful. It is. It, it is pretty. so festive. It's pale yellow, light gold. And one of the things I was thinking about as, as I was looking at, I mean, it, it helps that it's in this, these very nice crystal glasses, It by does the way. help that, I think, because the crystal is cut crystal, so it's reflecting 
the it reflects light all and, the yeah. light between the cut crystal and the bubbles. It's um, this one does awesome. have a true bubble trail in the mm-hmm. center of the glass. So you know, sometimes, especially with age, as it fucking should for fifty dollars. Calm yourself. I'm just saying, when um, you're paying this much for a bottle, like there's certain things that you definitely want. But some of like the older vintages. I mean, so if you're getting a champagne that's been aged for between five and ten years, you're not going to have a trail like that. Because then I don't oh, want it. Fine, be that way. Don't don't have the goodness of it. Then I'm going to send it back. <laughs> we have talked about this. <laughs> There's not enough bubbles. Take it back. I don't see 100 <laughs> bubbles per square millimeter. Get out! Get this out of my Get face. The fuck out. <laughs> All right, what are we smelling? So I'm going to tell you off the bat. I'm not smelling anything distinct. It's super subtle. It smells nice. It smells like champagne. It just is <laughs> it's sort of like delightful and airy smelling, but I'm not getting any specific notes. And I'm going to so I'm going to defer to Drea for this cuz she's got a much more developed palate than me. But I, I will agree with you. Like it is very subtle. I had to dig deep. Dig deep. How deep? So deep. I also, full disclosure. <laughs> Balls deep. <laughs> had to take Benadryl last night to get to sleep because of oh, my allergies. Yeah. So, you know. Cats. She's she's not, she's not in she's prime not fully form, in but, her faculties. But um, I'm getting some, some light notes of like Meyer lemon peel, pear, uh, and the, these are actually notes on the nose that I would expect for a champagne, which, you know, is very customary for New Year's Eve. Pears, citrus, winter fruits, but it's super, super subtle. So, you know. It's, it's not just me, everybody. It's not like when you open like an aromatic white um, and you you get all of these different hints. The other thing I would say is. I'd be interested, this may be an experiment I try in a little bit, is to pour it in something that is not a flute. So a coupe? No, not not a coupe, but just like a standard wine glass. Oh, okay. Because then you can get a little bit more air in it. Um, but this this is... But I have read that you should drink champagne out of a coupe. Because See, of that. Because of what? Because it has more surface area for the air. Oh, I have a coupe. Well, I mean, yeah, you could do a coupe, but you could do a standard too, and that's still gonna like aerate I'm just it a saying, little bit. We could do a coupe. We, I mean, I know I you, have coupes. Be, you do have coupes. We have literally pulled out every. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. <laughs> Rob is our dishwasher. Hot Rob is our dishwasher. Well, he has a new apron that says Hot Rob. And he's Santa gonna come Rob in and be like, him. "You bitches <laughs> open one bottle of champagne, and somehow you have used." Four, literally, we have used four different glasses tonight. (laughs) Well, let's be honest. It wasn't just one bottle of champagne. (laughs) Anywho. It's fine. So, very subtle on the nose. Anywho, ha. If you try it in a different glass, let us know what you think. Let's go to our pairings. No, the taste. We haven't tasted it yet. Can't pair if you haven't tasted. (laughs) Sorry. Now whose balls deepest? (laughs) Let's rewind, everybody. We're going to taste this and see if we can detect any... I have a feeling I'm going to be the same as I was on the nose, or I'm not going to be able to pull anything out. It tastes like champagne. It tastes like bubbles. It tastes like bubbles. It tastes like hope and glamour. It tastes like fuzzy deliciousness in my mouth. Actually, it totally does. (laughs) It is truly effervescent in the mouth. It is, yeah. You can... It's like... It plays a little... 
plays a little note. It on does. Your it plays tongue. a yeah. little New Year's Eve tune. Okay. Well, in addition to that New Year's Eve tune, are you getting anything else on the palette? I am going to once again defer to Drea on this one because I am just really having a hard time distinguishing anything specific here. I wonder if it was that gin and tonic we had. Or the Negroni Spagliato. Whatever. Potato, potato. Or the rosé. Okay. We're giving ourselves away here. They know. (laughs) And if they don't, well, now you fucking know. Shame on them. Two girls in a grave. Two tales of alcoholics <laughs> drinking on a podcast. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> potato, potato. Okay. So, tomato, tomato. <laughs> so I am picking, like, I do think the tastes are much more distinctive than the nose was. Um, the thing that, that hits you, I think, initially is that wave of acid, which is not unpleasant, right? Acid is a term that we use to describe wines. In this particular one, I think that acidic value really gets encapsulated in more of a grapefruit taste. So, you know, you get that, but it mellows. Okay, grapefruit. I was saying earlier, I'm like, there's something about it that kind of makes your mouth pucker a little bit. And I couldn't quite put my my finger on it. Like, it's not lime. It's not lemon. But it's definitely in the citrus family. Grapefruit. Dear listener, we did have this chat about acidic content during a commercial break. And yet, here we are. Grapefruit. Yep. <laughs> I'm just trying to add value yeah. to the episode, Drea. Why did you have to call me out, asshole? <laughs> New Year. And this is the last episode of Two Girls in a Grave. New Good Year. night. Same Drea. <laughs> Okay, so... Look out for a new co-host in 2023, everyone. No one's to put up with her bullshit. <laughs> There's literally no one else at this point. We've run the full gamut. Okay, so grapefruit... Um, and so that, like, acid kind of hits you first, but it mellows out really quickly. And I, as it develops on the palate, I'm getting notes of the, those golden apples, you know, the yellow ones, the ones that are actually yellow. What are they called? Are they called golden apples? You know what I would say? Granny Smith here. Oh, really? Granny Smith has that like little like pucker, crunch pucker. Fair, fair. See, if a golden apple to me is much more sweet. But not as sweet as a red. Definitely. But to me, this is when you just said apple, I'm like, oh, Granny Smith is actually maybe. We're really splitting hairs on these apples. Okay, so golden apple, Granny Smith, whatever your heart desires. Very, very light on the brioche, um, which, you know, we talked about with kind of champagnes and that like toastiness and that yeastiness that comes across as like a buttery brioche or croissant flavor. This one is very light and it's because it's, you know, a young vintage, right? And so if you had a more aged champagne, you would get more of that. The color would also be deeper. So pro tip, when you're out drinking champagne, that toastiness quality, that croissant quality, Croissant. Croissant. In the flavor palette, you're going to see in the color. So the lighter, you know, the more kind of fruit forward, citric that it's going to be, the darker is going to be more of that heavy, buttery mouthfeel. But on the finish, I also get a little bit of herbaceousness, which we all know I love. A little bit of thyme, a little bit of sweet basil, almost. Um, That might be your gin and tonic talking. No, there's no, there's no green things floating in my gin and tonic. There's some peppercorns and some juniper. 
It's not I palate cleansed. Okay. With pizza. <laughs> so, but the uh, flatbread from oh, Trader Oh, sorry, Joe's. it was a flatbread. It was a it was a fancy it was a fancy pizza. Um, I do think though that this one is more fruit forward, more acid forward uh, for a champagne. So if that's your jam, great. The other thing I would say about this too is because of that citrus forward um, palette. This is going to be a huge crowd pleaser. So if you are, it should. Well, yeah, for the price. I mean, it's a good champagne. It so. is a good champagne, and if you're, but also like if you're celebrating with a group of mixed company, including yeah. like you know seasoned winos, newcomers, people who think they don't like this, people who think they only drink Pinot, blah 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 blah, blah whatever. I think this is a bottle that everyone can enjoy, whether. You know, despite their differences in palate and um, not everyone's going to enjoy an aged champagne. Not everyone's going to enjoy a pet nat. Uh, and so this is something that I think would be an all-around crowd pleaser for a New Year's Eve toast. So speaking of New Year's Eve and toast, let's turn our attention to pairings. So, Jules. Oh, are we talking about pairings now? We are now talking about pairings. Oh, okay. Am it's I your, allowed to talk now? It's your time to shine, girl. <laughs> What have you got for us? Food. I I love to pair champagne with just finger foods. But like Absolutely. kind of unexpected, nothing super fancy. So um, like a pastry pup. Mm, yeah. So a little, little hot dog wrapped in some puff pastry. Trader Joe's has the best ones. They're so good. They're actually called pastry pups. And they're like Parmesan. Puff pastry with a little hot dog in the middle. Andy refers to them as little weenies. Oh my god, they're delicious. <laughs> um, little mini quiches. Costco yeah. Costco sells amazing frozen mini quiches for a party. Like those are delicious. Um, and then I would say the flatbread that we had tonight is a really great accompaniment to this. It was the ham, onion, and Gruyere flatbread from Trader Joe's. Yeah. So a little bit of cheese, that onion, the caramelized onion, the ham, the saltiness, and then a little bit of, you know, the carbs with the flatbread. I like that. I like that. Um, I was kind of thinking in the same vein. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's this, this idea that champagne can only be opened on a special occasion. Uh, But... Fuck that. Get a bunch of frozen shit from Trader Joe's, throw Fuck it in the yeah. oven, open up a nice bottle of champagne, and that's it. You are good to go for well, New Year's Eve. As we discussed, I like a 9 p.m. New Year's Eve ball drop. Ball drop. That's right. She's just going to follow it on scene. It's going to be fine. Um, but my f- girlfriend, Danielle, who also gifted the podcast this bottle. So thank you, Danielle. Danielle, thank you. I didn't know that. Supporting two girls and a grape and for letting us feature this on the podcast. But her and I have this thing, like whenever we we're in for a night of some good whining and Mm -hmm. dining. We always always. we always end the night with like, should we get some chip wine, as we call it? And that's just like a lovely sparkling wine that's going to go with a delicious salty kettle chip oh Um, yeah and this like this is a good chip wine this is a good chip wine you know just something like salty and crunchy to offset those bubbles and that that citrus palette like Mm -hmm. i'd be into that so yeah finger foods you know 
I so you kind of offset the fanciness of the champagne with the non-fanciness of the food. It doesn't have to be escargot or oysters. I mean, I'm down for those Just things, too. Just fucking throw but... some frozen shit in the oven. Be in your jammies. Be in your jammies. Go to bed at 902, precisely. Yes, if you're that person. <laughs> yes. So excited. <laughs> All right, situation. I mean, we're talking about New Year's Eve, so let's just say. It's yeah. New Year's Eve, festive, you're celebrating, you're cheersing, you're just being, having a positive outlook on the year to come. It's just, I think, an all-around cheerful beverage. Yeah, and I think what's great about this bottle, too, is you can open it. At, have it open for you at a restaurant where you're celebrating and doing mm-hmm. the, you know, you're all dressed up and you're doing the full on New Year's Eve countdown. You can open it up as you're sitting on your sofa with, you know, your significant other, your housemates or your pets or whatever. There are really no rules here. And that's what I love about a bottle like mm-hmm. this is that you can enjoy it in any context. You can drink it out of a plastic cup. If you just moved somewhere, our friend Tara just moved. Literally, her move-in day was yesterday. She's unpacking oh, wow. boxes today. And I'm just thinking, she's probably like, where the fuck are my champagne glasses for New Year's <laughs> Eve? Fuck it. Girl, Grab guess a plastic it, cup and pour guess the shit in there. cup. Go just for it. do it. Guess silly straw. There is no shame to any of that. <laughs> nope. We are, we're also pretty shameless here on the podcast. We are. So here we yeah, are. I that, though. Uh, Our listener knows that. <laughs> Hi, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Oh, hot Rob. So Kendra. Oh, Michelle, Andy Rose. my sister Michelle. Look at us. We do have Rose. We have some. We have some listeners. It's cool. We're killing it. We've got a few. Plural. Okay. okay. Entertainment. <laughs> I want to have either a stupid movie on in the background, like one that you've seen a million times that you don't have to actually pay attention to, but you kind of know punchlines and like you can enjoy it. Or my favorite. The Netflix fucking fire log shit. Oh, hell yeah. You have music on a record player or your speaker with Spotify. And then Netflix has, if you don't know about this, Netflix has a fire log. It's like a one hour long. Basically, it looks like a fireplace on your TV. It does the crackling too. It does the crackling. It's so great. It's beautiful. So like if you're just having people over, it's a great little thing to play in the background. Yeah, That's my jam. Um... I will literally watch or listen to anything other than Ryan Seacrest hosting New Year's Eve on TV. But doesn't he do the the ball drop? Don't care. Hate him. Oh, but I thought you watched the ball drop. (laughs) Yeah, I watch Anderson Cooper. Oh, well, he's cute. Yeah, Yeah, we like him. Obviously. We love him. Um, Ryan Seacrest, though, just, he gotta go. Not so much. He gotta go. Okay, so you're saying what you don't want to do. Is there something you do want to do? No, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) To be clear, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Now you know what not to do, and you have a couple things that you can do. So there you have it. Your pairings for this wonderful bottle of Love Clicquot Champagne. And where can we purchase this bottle, Jules? Pretty much anywhere. Literally everywhere. I mean, I know they have it at our baby Target, so we have a mini Target in our neighborhood. Uh, they're at all the liquor stores. I've seen it at Costco. Costco, um, Totaline. I was at two grocery stores today. Both of them have it. You can literally find this anywhere. If you live in a small town somewhere, you 
probably able to find this somewhere. If you live in a big town, you'll probably be able to find it in multiple places. Like I mentioned earlier, I have seen it on sale at our Target for, you know, maybe 5 or $8 off. Like so, $44.99 hey, yeah, or something. So, yeah, so hey, whatever. You know, it all counts. So, yeah, you can literally buy this anywhere. And this is our last episode of 2022. But fear not, dear listener, we will be back in 2023 with dry January. January. <laughs> We're not saying that we do it, but we get that we some might. of you are doing it. We might. So we will be featuring some non-alcoholic libations yeah um for you to enjoy so stay tuned keep an eye on the instagram you can follow us at two girls and a great pod that's t-w-o girls and a great p-o-d pod um if you are participating in dry january and you have any tips and tricks for us like maybe you've done this before have you ever done this dry january yeah i have done three weeks it oh, hasn't been dry day. january because I did the sugar detox. Okay. And it always was in January. And Lauren was always like, her birthday's in January. She's like, motherfucker, you're always doing this stupid sugar detox during my birthday. Uh, <laughs> so I've done like pseudo dry January. Okay. Because there's no alcohol in the sugar detox. Right, yeah. But when that three weeks is over, I usually will have a drink. Well, yeah. I don't go crazy because really coming off of three weeks of no drinking. You're sort of like, I feel really good. I'm waking up more clear-headed. There are certain benefits to it. For sure. So I've never done it. So I mean, she shocking. might do it. She, y'all, <laughs> we might be two days away from a totally sober Drea. Let's see. Well, Let's I don't see start, how this plays out. I don't start anything till the second, first of all. You can't, well, I'm you can't be making. It might be two days away. Tomorrow's the 31st. And then the first. Well, and then it's the second. What was that about clear-headedness? Can I do math if I do it? No. Oh, that's upsetting. No. Okay, so okay. stay tuned for our dry January experiment. And until, until next, next time. Well, until 2023. Oh, my God. See you next year, everybody. Cheers, bitches. Salud. Cheers.